You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Father God, we ask that you would shape and mold us through this text this morning, and we will thank you for it. Amen. Everyone loves a good inspirational quote, something that when you hear it, it makes your day a little brighter. It causes you to strive a little harder. It makes you want to be nicer to people around you. Well, at least most people love inspirational quotes. I'm not one of those people. Other than maybe that picture of that cat who's hanging onto a rope with a single claw about to fall and the words beneath casually say, hang in there. (laughs) They're not too many motivational statements that bring a smile to my face. At least not like that one. Now, you tell me something about all the evil in the world. Tell me something about pain. Tell me something about learning through failure. And my attention is yours. I will want to learn from you. And I will probably have lots of questions for you too. If you remind me like the preacher does today that victory does not go to the fastest runner. The battle does not go to the strongest warrior. Food does not go to the wisest person in the room. A successful business does not go to the smartest woman in the room. Or the kind eyes of the world will not look upon the most knowledgeable people. Tell me that, and and tell me that time and chance happen to all of them because we do not know what is happening from one moment to the next? like chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 does, tell me that, and you will probably get a hearty slap on the back. You'll get an amen. I'll share tears with you. I will nod agreement with you. And generally speaking, you'll have a new friend. (laughs) Because as much as it hurts, if you're actually reading Ecclesiastes, You read something like that and you realize that these are not just some old crusty words. This is living wisdom. You hear it and you know it is true because the world is chaotic and disordered. And and it's felt that way ever since that day in the garden. The only thing that strikes me as being truer still is what we read in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes verses one through six. I'm going to be reading from a paraphrase, a slightly different translation. Well, I took all of this in and thought it through inside and out, and here's what I understood. The good, the wise, and all that they do are in God's hands. But day by day, whether it's love or hate they're dealing with, they don't know. Anything's possible. It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people and bad people, the nice and the nasty, worshipers and non-worshippers, committed and uncommitted. I find this to be outrageous. The worst thing about living on this earth, that everyone's lumped together in one fate. 
Is it any wonder that so many people are obsessed with evil? Is it any wonder that people go crazy left and right? Life leads to death. That's it. That comes from the message. Look, all roads, every path you take, everyone's journey ends at death. This seems truer still to me because death has always been a fixation of mine. Many extended family members died when I was young. My parents took me to their houses as they lived out their final days and hours. We went to the funerals. It was painful and confusing for me, but as I became more accustomed to it, it was comforting because I had made a silent vow with myself that death would not sneak up on me. Rather, not me personally, but I would not be surprised when people around me died. It caused me to collect certain proverbs about death, like memento mori, or translated it means remember death, or remember your death. People used to get these beautiful portraits painted of themselves. They would hang them up in their house, and there would be a skull in the background, a skull that was always there to be a reminder that one day they would die, no matter how beautiful they looked in their painting, no matter how important death waited. Or this one. Every hour wounds, the last one kills. A reminder that everyone has their last hour. Or my favorite, sometimes the only response to death is lunch. <laughs> now that one, at first I thought was in bad taste, but then I realized that every funeral that I ever went to ended with food. Clearly, the only proper response to death is lunch. That is a lived truth. <laughs> what do you do after someone has died? You keep living. Chapter 9, verses 4 through 10, finish with final words about death and the gift that we have been hearing so much about. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living. Since a live dog is better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them, because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have already disappeared, and there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with pleasure, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife that you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun all your fleeting days. For this is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, which is where you're going. There's so many things that need to be said about that passage, but here's a question. What do you do with life when you know death waits on you? How do you choose wisdom or knowledge or speed or strength when you know that you don't know anything for certain other than one day you must die? 
we can choose the good things. We can choose wisdom because of verses 13 through 16 of chapter 9. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me that there was a little city in which a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The teacher, through all of his mistakes and failure, and observations about the failures of others, has learned that wisdom is still the best path, even if it does not get respect or the response that it deserves. Because the unwise person cannot enjoy the gift, the spouse, the family, the food, the drink, the work given to us cannot be enjoyed without wisdom. Specifically, the wisdom that you are not in control. The wisdom that these are good gifts from God and that He is in control. Without Him, you go to Sheol, you go to hell. And none of this makes any sense at all. None of this life stuff makes sense if it's without God. Wisdom is better than foolishness and ignorance, even though the evil in this world will undo the good that has been gained. When we started this series with the understanding that the preacher was going to teach us wisdom from the shadows, from the shade, uh, we understood that he was going to show us the underbelly of wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches us what cannot make a good life. The preacher points us instead to our Savior as the only good and only source of true joy. Chapter 10 is a list of Proverbs, not something to be ignored, but something that we're not going to take the time to walk through. However, in that list we see an interplay, an intersection of wisdom and foolishness. Many of those Proverbs are written in clever and actually very humorous ways, and I would encourage you to read those short 20 verses. The first six verses of chapter 11 don't take us to the unpredictability of death, but rather to the unpredictability of life. They are difficult verses to understand, but the big idea is to work with the unpredictableness. If you have money, spread it around in investments or to other people who could benefit from it. Don't hoard your cash waiting for the day that you will use it. For the most part, you can't change circumstances just like you cannot change the way the wind blows or how a tree will fall in the wilderness. If a farmer waits for the perfect weather, he will never be able to plant or harvest. Be ready for anything, because life is unpredictable. God is the one who does all things. And we know that this is true, don't we? It's hard to tell what the teacher is doing sometimes. It, in chapter 9, it seems like he is showing us the absurdity of life without God. And here, he's immediately bringing God into the picture. Which is good, because 
if you are not in complete control of your life, something is. <laughs> and I pray that it is God. Yet with that knowledge, the preacher tells us to plant seed in the morning and in the evening. Don't withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. He tells us to keep getting out there and doing good work. He's talked to us now about death and about life, and what about age? Now, generally speaking, Hermanus is a place that does not like to admit its age. Where I come from, we should probably take a little bit better care of ourselves than we do, but when our family moved here, I was very confused because it seemed like there was a skincare clinic on every corner. <laughs> Look, the sun will not rise for everyone tomorrow. Just two nights ago, there was a very famous actor who died, and it's a shame. Because he was good at his job. And he was a Christian. And in the movies, he played a superhero. However, when the sun does rise, the preacher tells us that it's a good thing. When you feel the sun on your skin, you know that you have made it to the next day. And it's a blessing from God. If you are older, and I'm not saying that anyone that's listening is older, the preacher tells you to rejoice in every day. But also to remember that dark days still lie ahead, like the many that came before it. The smoke does not disappear with age. Then, in chapter 11, verses 9 to 10, we, we move to the younger crowd. And again, I'll let you decide which group you're in. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything that you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. Young people, if you want to enjoy life, Understand God's will for you, that your trust should be placed in him, and that includes your moral life, the preacher is saying. Chapter 12 then takes us back to old age, and the picture, though normal, does not seem to be very comforting to the preacher. The body is failing, falling apart, and, and keeping the person from doing things that they did in their youth. And he reminds us of what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20, All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. And with chapter 12, verse 8, the preacher bows and makes his final dramatic statement. It's smoke. All of life is smoke. Everything is smoke. Next, the author of Ecclesiastes takes over again. He was in the first verse, and now he's in the final verses. And we've read this passage before, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly, he wrote words of truth, which maybe before 
after week one, you thought, oh, good, words of delight. And now we've arrived at the end of the book, and you may be asking, what was delightful about this? <laughs> Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given to one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Good and wise words should be delightful because they show you there is something permanent in this world of confusion. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. As we have trekked through Ecclesiastes, we've heard about time, death, fate, and the gift given to us by God. All things that seem mysterious and like smoke, and yet that gift is one of contentment and the choice to enjoy what God has given us. A taste of Eden, where we are with our spouse and we are in our work and we are... Uh, being fed and we are given drink and we are in right relationship with God. But where's the good news at again? We've already talked about death and the perspective that we have as Christians that is unique. It's different from all other religions and philosophies and ideas. We believe that in death, Jesus put our death to death. Okay, that's a little bit confusing, but Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians 15. But when the perishable, that is something that can fade away, puts on the imperishable, that is something that cannot fade away, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is how we can take hold of that gift that the preacher tells us about. And here's some more good news that we should hear in those final verses. Everything will be brought to judgment. Did you hear all the injustice in Ecclesiastes? Open your eyes. Do you see all the injustice in, those, in this world? Those things that go against God and his character, and goes against what he desires for us, those things are going to be judged. The injustice and the mistreatment that have left you broken and oftentimes keep you from feeling the completeness that you have in Christ, one day 
all of that will be wiped away completely like the tears from every eye that John tells us about in Revelation. And Jesus will judge and all will be made right. Which maybe should sound horrifying to us, except for the fact that for you and me that put our, our, our faith in Christ, we know that Jesus took our judgment upon himself and he died our death for us. Also, this is more encouragement, I suppose, than good news, but it's all tied up together. What is one thing that Jesus told you to do? Daily, take up your cross and follow him. A cross kills. Jesus tells you and me to die daily to ourselves and be raised up again by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life with a new identity in Jesus. Each day, when you turn to God in prayer and repent of your sin and you turn away from yourself and your selfishness, you're dying to self. When you turn to Christ, you are dying to yourself. You're saying, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Not only that, there's only one thing that I can do on my own, and that is sin. Each day in your jobs, out in the world, or in your home, or in the church, you give of yourself and you die to yourself. Christian, you should hear all these words about death and it should not shock you. There's a movie that came out last year where a character survived being hanged by the neck and now they're trying to hang him again. And he's pretty relaxed about the whole thing and he's standing next to a man who's starting to cry who's also getting hanged. And he looks over at him very calmly and asks, First time, huh? <laughs> Christian, this is us. When that day comes, when your last hour arrives, you have no fear because you have already died daily and you know that Jesus will carry you through that death as well. The book of Ecclesiastes has taught us mainly what cannot make a good life. The preacher points us to our Savior as the only good and the only source of true joy. Everything under the sun will disappoint, and in your last hour, all of it will be worth nothing. But it's for you that Jesus died. He took your death upon himself, and by the blood of his cross, he made you at peace with God and he redeemed you and promises to place you in that new Eden, that new earth where your work, your relationships, your food, your drink, your everything will not only not be in vain, but you will fully experience the depths and the riches of that gift that God has given to you in Christ, and it will never even feel in vain or like smoke ever again. May the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be praised. Until next time, Know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.